Our second reading from the Holy Scriptures is Romans chapter 6, beginning at the first verse. The Apostle Paul writes, What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be destroyed, and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin." But if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented yourselves and your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. For those of you who are visiting, again, it's wonderful And a blessing to have you here. And for those of you members who've been away on recent weekends, uh, you're joining us as we are concluding uh, a five-week meditation on the cross. We have intentionally, deliberately, and prayerfully been focusing uh, all the more intently on the cross where Jesus died, the death that we deserve, that we might have a life that we cannot earn. And I hope and pray that these meditations have been a blessing to you in your journey of Lent as we move forward to Holy Week and consider 
Consider what Christ did for us on that Good Friday and what he's won for us through his resurrection to life everlasting. If you missed any of these previous meditations, they're all on our church website. And I do strongly encourage you, if you're visiting for the first time today, if you've been away, to go to our website and give those a listen. Um, Because all of these messages build on the previous. We looked that first Ash Wednesday at the nature of crucifixion and how it wasn't atypical. The Romans were crucifying hundreds and thousands of people in the day. But when they crucified this one Jesus of Nazareth between two criminals, uh, something very different was taking place. God himself, the word made flesh, was being nailed to that cross. And the blood that flowed, uh, we know, is far more costly than silver or gold. The reason Jesus was crucified is that he had been rejected. That was our second meditation. Rejected not just by of the Romans as he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, but rejected by his own people, the people of his own faith, the house and lineage of David. Um, We would say today that he was rejected by both church and state. But uh, Christ came so welcome that first um, Palm Sunday, and before the week was over, it was rejected by virtually everyone. He was rejected because... His message was so offensive. He, Jesus, was so offensive to the principalities and powers. His working of miracles, his preaching of their newness of the kingdom, his willingness to spend time with and touch sinners, people caught in adultery, tax collectors, lepers. So the very person of Jesus, the way that God in the flesh moved on this earth, was a great offense to people who thought that You know, religious folks, holy people, don't do these things. Last week, we meditated on what it means to be saved and how through his rejection and death on the cross, Christ has won for us salvation. And if you missed that last sermon, I really hope you'll go and listen to it on the website because there's a lot of different talk these days about what it means to be saved. And we need to make sure that we're talking about Salvation according to the witness of Scripture and the Lordship of Jesus, the crucified King, the risen Lord. Today we shift to what it means to be sanctified. Uh, We had that first reading that Bill read for us from uh, Joel about God sanctifying a feast, sanctifying the congregation. In Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, we're told that what we gain in Christ by being joined to his death and resurrection is sanctification, and this sanctification is a good thing. As I think on sanctification, my mind goes back to an event that happened right here in the sanctuary years ago, right here, between the pulpit and what appears to be no man's land, where only Ruth Ronan is willing to sit in a front row. Uh, A young woman came up to talk after the service but a whole lot of things had transpired before she came up to talk to the pastor that Sunday morning. Uh, She was living a very uh, dark, uh, self-destructive lifestyle. And one of her friends at work, a member of this church, saw this happening before her eyes and she simply couldn't watch this, this woman go spiraling down. 
And so she reached out. She stepped out of her comfort zone. And she says, you know, I care about you. And you come in here on Monday, and I just wonder what you've been up to. And you talk about the things that you do. And, you know, you should have more respect for yourself. You should love yourself the way God loves you. And this member of our church not only shared her compassion for a coworker, she knew this woman needed God. So she said, I'd like to give you a Bible and not just pass it off, but spend some time reading it with you. And they did that uh, over their lunch breaks. And that member of our church said, you know, I, I think you also need to come to worship. Jesus said, where two or more gather in my name, I'll show up. You need to go to where Jesus shows up and where God is glorified. And so this woman came to worship. And um, I had the honor of meeting her. She said, I want to be baptized. I didn't know everything that had happened before the request to be baptized. I said, well, slow down. It's good that you want to be baptized. Why do you want to be baptized? She looked at me like I was kind of crazy. Well, Jesus says you should be baptized. <laughs> See, she had read Matthew 28 with her coworker. And that coworker had said in answer to the question, I want to change. I want my life to be better. What do I do? And she said, well, you need to trust that God loves you. You need to believe the promises. You need to understand that Christ died for you. And all these things that make you now so ashamed, all these things that you were doing that were so destructive... Now that you know better, you need to um, trust in the Lord. You need to worship with believers who can encourage you. And you need to be baptized. And so that's why she showed up that day. And so we scheduled some conversations. And we do that with any member of the congregation who wants a child or a grandchild baptized. And you know, in my nearly 19 years here at Faith, I've baptized more adults in this congregation than the previous three congregations combined because I see in this congregation are taking very seriously the mission to lead people to Christ who don't know him. And when they're led to Christ, they need to be baptized into his death and resurrection. So God bless you all who take that mission seriously, who share your faith with other people as uncomfortable as that might be. And when I was in conversation with this woman, I said, well, tell me, tell me about your life before Christ. And she goes, well, it's kind of hard to describe, but it was dark. I didn't realize how dark it was until I learned about Jesus. And I was just constantly sinning. I was just chasing after any and every sin. I'm not proud of that. I said, what about your life now as you prepare for baptism? She goes, well, that's kind of hard to explain too, but the best way I can say it is um, now that I know how much I'm loved, now that I know how much God cares for me and that Christ died for me, I've got this power to say no to the temptation. And instead of, you know, just chasing after every sin that comes along, now I'm turning my back to it. I'm turning away from it. I'm saying no to the devil to the one that would have me believe that I am worthless. That I am just full of shame. I'm now living as a child of God. Wow. Wow. I could end my sermon right there, but I won't. <laughs> but that to me is a perfect definition of sanctification. Without Jesus, all of us are like that young woman who came to Christ and was baptized here in this sanctuary. Sinners that don't even know how trapped we are. 
how good as dead we are. But with Christ, yeah, we're still sinners. We fall. We miss the mark. We all, like sheep, go astray from time to time. But now we are doing our best to resist the tempter. And we have, many of us, people who help keep us accountable in our small groups and in our prayer groups that we might walk as Enoch trod, (laughs) close to the living God, seeking the mind of Christ. Last week, we indeed meditated on salvation, and we were reminded of how Jesus saves us from sin and death. But as we turn now to sanctification, we see that the Lord saves us from sin and death for a purpose. I had a conversation not too long ago with some people about sanctification. Um, Part of my work, parenthetically, years ago, when I was blessed by this congregation to study at Fuller from my doctorate, was on sanctification. And I had a conversation with some people, and I said, well, what does sanctification mean to you? And one person said, oh, pastor, that's when you're stuck up, when you're arrogant, when you look down on other people, when you think you're better than others. And I said, I, I think you're... I think you're referring to sanctimonious. And when you're sanctified, there's no room for being sanctimonious, right? In fact, in fact, when you're sanctified, oh, you're humbled. You realize that without God, more you're as good as lost, you're as good as dead. In the reading from Joel, and throughout the Old Testament, and in the New Testament as well, when something or someone is sanctified, that is not something that happens uh, this side of heaven by our actions or our decisions. Um, sanctification is a God thing, as the young people say. It is by God's doing. God initiates. God is the actor. It is by God's power, by God's grace. Uh, when in the Old Testament... Uh, A feast is sanctified. The congregation is sanctified. When we are sanctified in holy baptism, it means to be made holy. And being made holy doesn't mean you start acting like you're better than others. It's not a matter of being sanctimonious. But being holy means realizing that you have been chosen and set apart. And when you are set apart by God... You are set apart for a right purpose, that you might pursue righteousness, that you might live the life that God intends. And so another way of thinking about sanctification is living according to God's plans and purposes, according to God's will and desires for us. And that purpose is life. It's life. That's the reason Jesus died on the cross, that we might have life, and not just any kind of life. Jesus said, recorded by John in his gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what we're talking about when it comes to sanctification is this abundant life that Jesus desires for every single one of us. That's why he came. Contrary to what some people think, Jesus didn't come to rob us of our fun and make our lives boring and sanctimonious and uneventful. And contrary to what some think the church is about these days, Christ did not die on a cross to entertain us 
or distract us for an hour or so on Sunday morning. Now, I've had some people come to church and say, you know, your job, pastor, on Sunday morning is to make me feel better for an hour. Really? I don't have that power. But I think God wants you to be set apart. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, well, hey, pick up your cross and follow me. Get in line. Jesus came to save us from sin and death that we could live for him and with him. And this kind of living is what the Lord calls abundant. Every single week, without fail, we put on the cover of our handouts our mission statement and our vision statement. And as long as they're just statements, they're worthless. But when we think about these statements of mission and vision and we put them into practice, well, then they have meaning. Uh, Then we can get on with living the sanctified life. So I think most of our members are conversant with our mission to lead people to Christ, to incorporate them into the life of the church, and to equip one another. But what about our vision statement? It's right there on the cover of the bulletin if you've never read it before. And one of the things that we uh, have as our vision, that the kind of people we want to be, are people where the abundant life is empowered. There it is, abundant life. That's our statement of vision, not because we try to be poetic, you know, or impress people, well, we want to live abundantly. Jesus said he came to give us the abundant life. It's our statement because that's what Jesus said. It's what he wants for us. We need to be careful when we talk about the abundant life. Because the world defines the abundant life, and many so-called preachers are defining the abundant life as, well, Jesus died on the cross, so you could have an abundance of things, whatever your heart desires. Some people think abundance is an abundance of possessions and an abundance of wealth. Now, don't get me wrong. God can use those who have been very successful financially. God can use their stewardship, their wealth, to accomplish A lot of good things, the work of the kingdom here on earth, to those whom much is given, much is required. But when we think that what we own, or what we wear, or what we drive, or where we live, or what we have accumulated is the ultimate definition of the good life, of success, of abundant life, well, then we're still poor. In God's eyes, we are spiritually impoverished. We might even be sanctimonious and not sanctified in the least. Christ says that the abundant life means life in the kingdom, seeking kingdom priorities. It means seeking treasures that cannot be measured by the scales, by the measures, the standards of this world. As that young woman put it so beautifully, so authentically, It means no longer chasing after darkness, living in darkness, but turning from the darkness, from sin, to light, to life, to Christ. It means a simultaneous resistance of saying no to the evil one and saying yes to the lordship of Jesus and asking daily, Lord, how can I be useful to you? How can I be your servant? How can I live out my baptismal identity so that others might see my good works, not to praise me, but they might give glory to the Father. I believe that all of Scripture is worthy 
of our meditation, our study. All of Scripture is holy and Spirit-inspired, but I think that Colossians 3 describes this process, this gift of sanctification, uh, so faithfully and so beautifully. I commend it to you tonight for your evening prayer devotions this week as you're thinking about the things of God. And I want to read just a few verses of Colossians 3, and I want you to think about being set apart, having a purpose, being made holy by God as you hear these words of Paul. And I'm using that um, version of the Bible called the message. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, then act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with just the things right in front of you. Look up, be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. Look at things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, your real life, even though invisible to the spectators, is with Christ. He is your life. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. Promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like it. Grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. But now you know better. So let's make sure all that's gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to each other. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the Creator with His label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. You've been chosen by God for this new life of love. So dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. If you want a solid biblical definition of sanctification, right there it is, Colossians 3. And you see, this process is to be repeated over and over again. Putting on Christ is not a one-time action. It's a daily discipline. It's a constant habit. Between now and Easter morning, perhaps every single one of us should think about Colossians 3. We should get real with God and ask the Lord Jesus to help us kill off one of our irritable sins. And if you're like me, there's more than a few to choose from. And if you're not sure which irritable, sinful behavior needs to go, if you're married, husbands, I suggest you ask your wives. They will help you. Wives, as they say where my family's from, vice versa. If you live alone, ask your closest friends. If they're honest and they're really a friend, they'll help you. Children, ask your parents. Parents, ask your sons and daughters. Dr. B.J. Miller once wrote, It is a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibilities of not doing it. In other words, the cost of disobedience is greater than the cost of this radical obedience that is ours as God's sanctified people. The Lord says he wants us to be done with the old life and get on with living the new. What old things are you still picking up and putting on that don't belong anymore? 
The Lord wants you to cast them off. He's not looking for behavior modification. He says, get rid of them. Put them on the cross. Be crucified with Christ. Wear the new garment of love and grace and mercy that he has provided. Like that young woman whose story I shared with you. May we run from sin, not because we're cowards, but because we know who the king is. May we turn from sin and run towards Jesus with all our strength. And here's more good news. Jesus is not only the finish line. Well, he's running right beside us every step of the way. And he promises that even when we fall, he's there to pick us back up. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.